Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Joe Giglio is going to join us from the News and Observer in about 30 minutes. He covers the ACC with distinction, covers the Wolfpack particularly closely. They have both a big basketball game tonight at Syracuse, 7 o'clock ESPN2. Keep in mind, it is a big game for Syracuse the way the NCAA Selection Committee defines such things. It is an even bigger game for the Wolfpack. What do I mean? Well, if you beat a top 75 team at their place, it is called a quad one win. The Wolfpack is at a top 75 opponent tonight. That makes it really, really big for NC State. Of course, it helps Syracuse's resume to win as well, but they are at home. You only get a quad one win at home if you're beating a top 30 team. NC State is not that. So it's a good win for Syracuse if the Orange can get it. It's a great win in the eyes of the committee if the Wolfpack can get it. The Pack has lost three of its last four. Syracuse has won six of its last eight. So I think the Orange is the more confidence te confident team right now. But NC State has earned its place on the bubble, and I mean that in a good way. There are about 10 ACC teams that wish they were on the NCAA tournament bubble because after the big three we've discussed all season long, Louisville, Duke, and Florida State, we saw the two of them go head-to-head -head last night at Cameron, Duke 70, Florida State 65, after the big three. Right now, Virginia is on the right side of the bubble in most people's eyes. NC State is slightly on the wrong side of the bubble in most people's eyes. Syracuse and Notre Dame, which both have big games tonight, aren't even really that close to the bubble, and they're on the wrong side. So relatively speaking, State is in a better neighborhood than the Orange or the Irish or a whole bunch of other teams in the middle of that ACC pack. Who will get the win tonight? Obviously, that's a huge one. Carolina goes to Wake Forest in a battle of basement dwellers, and Notre Dame does visit Virginia. The Cavaliers want to stay on the right side of the bubble. The Irish have been playing really well lately, may have digging, dug themselves too large a hole to get out of, but it certainly would be another quad one victory again if the Irish can go to Charlottesville and beat the Cavaliers. 1-800-849-2761. As we go to William in Denver, Colorado, others chiming in from across the great state of North Carolina where we are heard live in almost 300 cities and towns. I direct you, if you remember Roy Williams' words from last month, he described on his coach's radio show his Tar Heels, after they had lost to Georgia Tech without Cole Anthony at that point, remember, quote, the least gifted team I've ever coached in the time that I've been back here. So today, anybody but Duke people, those who dislike Coach Krzyzewski, are mocking his old-fashioned terminology for this year's Blue Devils. You know, they get tired of seeing a team maybe they don't like or a coach maybe they don't like. Sign year after year, class after class, prep All-Americans and other high school superstars. So old-fashioned, while I understand what he's saying, Mike DeCourcy understands what he's saying, Duke haters are not going to give him the benefit of that doubt. Similarly, anybody who dislikes Roy Williams and or Carolina doesn't want to hear least gifted about the Tar Heels in any context, in any year ever, because Roy Williams is also up there behind John Calipari of Kentucky, behind Mike Krzyzewski of Duke, but he has over the long haul been another of the best recruiters in all of college basketball, and the Tar Heels are never caught without at least a prep All-American somewhere on the roster, right? Even in the down years, a down year at Carolina is like, oh, you only have one or two top 25 high school signees, whereas in many years you have seven, eight, or nine, right? They're not going to feel sorry for you in the years you have only one or two, 
if their schools rarely have even one. We all know how this goes. Well, when Roy Williams' comments went viral, and I mean, he was surprised. He didn't even realize. You remember, he thought, what was his analogy? Like, I thought the color of my socks were more newsworthy than what I said on my radio show last night. Well, as a journalism school graduate, I can tell you that whereas Roy Williams is a great coach and will know more about basketball than I could ever hope to know, I think I know more about journalism than he does by a lot. And when a Hall of Fame coach says anything extreme about anybody or anything, including his own team, it meets the definition of news. Whether he likes it or not, whether he felt misinterpreted or not, he did. Whether he thought the media made a mountain out of a molehill. Again, he thought that. He joined us here on our show and talked about it. I decided, rather than tackling all of the questions, as we invite your calls, question of the day, what is that fractured sports relationship you'd love to see repaired? Pete Rose came up. That was a good one. Bob Knight kind of sort of buried the hatchet with Indiana this past weekend. That's what inspired the question of the day. Duke over Florida State, Wolfpack at Syracuse, Carolina at Wake Forest, Notre Dame at Virginia. Uh, tonight, I left most of the questions. Did all Roy just throw his team, his own team, under the bus? Even if coaches think such negative things about their own team, should they really say them out loud? All these are fair questions, right? Was Roy right, or was he just exaggerating after another painful loss in an obviously ugly season as the Heels visit Wake Forest tonight with both teams at 10 wins and 13 losses? We're used to seeing that from Wake over the last decade, Jeff Buzdelic and Danny Manning. This would be historically bad with only one exception in literally a lifetime of Carolina basketball seasons, dating back to Dean Smith being hired in the early 1960s. What's the best way to measure whether Williams was right or not with his least gifted comments? And I agree with those who say this, even if Williams is right, isn't it mostly his fault since he recruited this roster? Get no argument from me there, of course. You either get the credit or the blame. Those are the dudes you recruited. Maybe a different answer for a brand-new coach inheriting a, somebody else's roster. That's different. But, yeah, if you've been around a long time, even though there are reasons you didn't recruit as well, even though there are reasons, you know, early NBA exits, et cetera, that you might have lost some talent earlier than you had originally planned, yeah, you're ultimately responsible for your own roster, of course. One of the easiest to measure things, I thought, as some fans are mocking Roy and saying, oh, you, don't, you only have this many four-star players, you only have this many five-star players. And remember, when Cole Anthony was hurt, that dropped the numbers by one. That dropped the number of, you know, as Roy said, when he watched the Tar Heels against Georgia Tech, he's had teams where he could look out there and see five McDonald's All-Americans. You're only allowed to have five on the court, remember. Roy has had teams where all five dudes were McDonald's All-American guys. He looked out there against Georgia Tech, and he saw only one, again, in the absence of Cole Anthony. So that is just verifiably true. You might not have liked it. You might have thought he shouldn't have said it. But that's verifiably true. Well, I did a deeper dive, and you can see my article at The Athletic Carolina. I posted it this morning. You can find our power rankings as well at accsports.com. So I just measured, used a variety of measuring sticks plus the eyeball test. The eyeball test, if you're around long enough, if you don't think Roy Williams has less talent, if you don't think this is the least gifted Carolina team he's had in 17 years, you just watch a different sport than I do. Dino Gaudio of Louisville came on our show and said, yeah, that's the least talented Carolina team. Jeff Capel of Pitt 
who's fought tooth and nail against the Tar Heels as a player and as an assistant coach and now as a head coach at Pitt in the ACC. He said, yeah, I'll tell you one thing, Old Roy ain't lying. That's his least gifted team. Like, so basketball experts, coaches themselves, agree. Roy Williams' use of the phrase, even if you didn't like it, their eyeball test, as guys paid literally millions of dollars to be basketball experts, Roy was right. Old Roy wasn't lying, as Jeff Capel said, on our show and otherwise. When I did the deeper dive, I measured how many top 25 recruits did Coach Williams have on this team or that? How many top 50 recruits did he have on this team or that? And how many future NBA players? We don't know that for sure with this year's team, but that's pretty easy to measure, right, of his previous teams. Long story short, folks, his 2009 team, which won the national championship, had 10 top 50 high school signees. 10! You only have 13 scholarships. You don't even always use them all. Ten of the guys on his bench that year were top 50 high school signees in the recruiting rankings. Ten. This year he has two. It's Cole Anthony, again, who's missed half the season. And Armando Baycott was also a top, in his case, top 25 signee. Cole Anthony was like top five. But they're the only two top top 50 signees on the whole roster. Least gifted by the recruiting rankings? Obviously, yes. More maybe than your team. Maybe your team doesn't have any top 50 players. But still, by his standards, least gifted. Flip it to the NBA side. Different measuring stick. Not on the way into college, but on the way out of college. Where do you go? How do you do? Was your talent enough to justify a spot at the ultimate level for basketball players, the NBA? 2009 team had seven future NBA players. No matter how much you like the guys on this year's team, Cole Anthony will play in the NBA, health permitting, right? There's a chance that one of the big guys, Armando Baycott or Garrison Brooks, don't laugh. They have a chance. No guarantee, but Armando Baycott, don't judge him as a freshman version of himself. Judge him by what he can be as a six foot ten guy with some skill and some athleticism and some instincts. I'd bet that Baycott someday is on an NBA roster. There were seven future NBA. That's more than half your roster ended up playing in the NBA back when Roy Williams won it all in 2009. And that's not the only team. They had a great team in 2012 with seven future NBA players. They didn't win it that year, but that is kind of the high end for Roy Williams. What has he had in other years? Five future NBA guys, six future NBA guys. One year, there was only three future NBA guys. It was the year after they won it all in 2005. There was an exodus to the NBA. The next year, they had, quote-unquote, only three future NBA players in 2006. I did the deep dive and every detail. Check it out at The Athletic Carolina. Every detail supports, whether you like it or not, this is Roy Williams' least gifted team in Chapel Hill. Now, you could still argue, even with its least gifted team, he should be in the middle of the pack. He shouldn't be a 10-13 and 13, way down there with Wake Forest. They have the, they're tied for the worst overall records in the, in the league as they face each other tonight in Winston-Salem. 10-13. and 13. They let that Boston College game get away. They let that Clemson game get away. They let that Virginia Tech game on the road get away. They even let the Duke game get away. Should they have a better record? Yeah. But is this... Roy Williams' least gifted team among his 17 in Chapel Hill. Absolutely, positively, no doubt about it. Those willing to do the homework, as I did, can come to only one intelligent conclusion on that matter, and the answer also is yes. William in Denver, Colorado, welcome from afar to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. What's on your mind? 
Well, I just I'm glad you're talking about uh, Coach Roy Williams because that's uh, that's the subject of my call. I just wanted to uh, remind all of uh, your listeners and all of the people in that area of, of a couple of real, I think, really important facts that I don't think a lot of people talk about. Uh, certainly not ESPN or the ACC Network or or what I see on television. So I appreciate the time on your show just to point out a couple of things. Sure. I did my homework a little bit, and I looked at Coach Williams' record as, since he's been at North Carolina. Uh, what I found interesting, David, was if you – North Carolina's two goals of every season back in to Coach Smith's days have been number one to win the regular season ACC title and number two to win the NCAA championship. And if you look at Coach Williams over his time at North Carolina uh, and use that backdrop as your goal, which has been their goal, uh, do you realize that Coach Williams' record at North Carolina is better than the cumulative Pac-12? Pac-12 has not won a national championship since Coach Williams has been at yeah. North Carolina. So he's 3-0 three, three to zero against an entire conference in NCAA titles during his, his now 17 yeah. years so, at Chapel Hill. So if, if I could just keep going here just a minute. So his, he's got a better record than the cumulative Pac-12, the cumulative Big Ten, the cumulative Big 12, and the cumulative SEC has won the same amount of national championships as he has. The cumulative ACC, since Roy Williams has been at North Carolina, has won the same national championship number as he has. The other accomplishment, which is also not talked about in, in a lot, in 2015, I think it was, the year that Villanova beat North Carolina on the last second shot, North Carolina was in the final game lost their two best players, came back from that heartbreak to win the national championship the following year. We've been to five Final Fours in Coach Williams' time. We've been in four final games, winning three of them. We've played Duke back to our goal. We've played Duke nine times in Coach Williams' time at North Carolina with the ACC regular season on the line. You know what the record is in those nine games? Not off the top of my head, although I know most of what you've given us so far today. I, I really nine, I channel a lot of these zero. themes into my nine, own nine, articles. Yeah, nine and zero is the record for the ACC regular season championship. So my point of the call today from a cold, snowy Denver, Colorado, yeah. is that Roy Williams, in his tenure at North Carolina, without any doubt, in any measure, has been the best coach in college basketball. There is no argument. Duke, Mike Krzyzewski, two Final Fours in Roy Williams' time. He's been to five. There's no argument. The broader argument, of course, favors Coach K, including five NCAA titles over three NCAA titles. Um, but I and, and the head-to-head also favors Coach K. Uh, that has been what is that up to now? Twenty-one to sixteen. Mike Shashevsky over Roy Williams. That's just in Roy's time in Chapel Hill, not counting his Kansas years. 
I, I look at it this way. We have two of the greatest coaches in the history of college basketball, eight miles apart, right in our backyard. And Mike Krzyzewski has earned his place atop that mountain, number one, not 1B, but number one. And Roy Williams, who's a little bit younger than Mike Krzyzewski, is still adding to his body of work. And yes, in his 17 years in Chapel Hill, a lot of people are surprised to remember that Roy Williams in that 17-year period does have three titles to Kay's two titles. Uh, again, Kay has head-to-head. Roy has actually more NCAA tournament victories overall than Mike Krzyzewski does. Mike Krzyzewski has more first-round NBA draft picks in those 17 years that they overlap. It's, it's a fascinating phenomenon, and the only reason it is fascinating is that they're both so amazing. Seriously. Like, it's, it's K is the greatest of all time by, I think, most measuring sticks. Shout out to John Wooden of UCLA. His, he deserves to be in this conversation of well, as well. Dean Smith from our backyard is somewhere in the neighborhood, among the best ever. Uh, when you do the Mount Rushmore, it's going to be heavily populated by coaches who call North Carolina home or called the state of North Carolina home. So I describe us sometimes as the center of the college basketball universe and whereas State contributed to that a lot back in the day, Wake with people like Chris Paul and Tim Duncan and some team success as well, obviously most of the heavy lifting has been done by Duke and Carolina, and that means Coach K mostly with the Blue Devils, and um, Dean Smith and Roy Williams mostly with the Tar Heels. I end up defending Coach Williams' uh, body of work all the time. When you've won nine first-place finishes counting ties, in your first 16 years in one of the best leagues in basketball, um, that's not easy to do. You know, Some say you'd rather win the conference tournament. That is the official champion, of course. Dean Smith and many other coaches were of the mindset that it's harder to have the best record over many games, 16, 18, nowadays 20. It's harder to do that than it is to win three straight games in three days or four straight games in four days to win the conference title. Now, the NCAA tournament rules are what they are. The league conference rules are what they are. Official champion is the tournament champion. Mike Krzyzewski has more of those than Roy Williams. Roy Williams has more of those first-place finishes in these 17 years than Mike Krzyzewski does, by a lot, actually. So you can, you can bolster both resumes. It is so easy to do. They're two of the greatest of all time. K has Roy right now because K's in the mix for another ACC title, another Final Four, maybe a run at his sixth NCAA title, and Roy Williams is in the midst of his worst nightmare season in a career that dates back to 1978 when he took a job as an assistant to Dean Smith. So I understand whoever's down wants to bring up the bigger picture. Whoever's up wants to bring up the narrow picture. That makes sense. That's how you win arguments. Both are true. The Blue Devils' body of work is not slightly better than the Tar Heels this year. It's infinitely better than the Tar Heels, and somehow, some way, they even won the head-to-head battle. We will take other out-of-state calls. We will take other in-state calls, and we look forward to Joe Giglio of the News and Observer in about 10 minutes. What would I do if I were the lawyers for NC State, in this case against the NCAA? Would I lawyer up the way UNC did in the AFAM case? Heck yeah, I would. Everybody deserves a fair defense. The details differ at the Carolina case and the NC State case. We'll get into some of those with Joe Giglio later. We will welcome more of your calls next at 1-800-849-2761 on the David Glenn Show. 
UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in, in any way. Yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. I, but I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Joe Giglio from the News and Observer will drop by shortly. The NC State's, the NC State NCAA case took a turn yesterday. The NCAA's 48-page response to the Wolfpack, dated February 7th, became public yesterday. And it lays out, among other things, why it remains convinced of the most serious charge against NC State, the funneling of money to Dennis Smith Jr. and or his family with the assistance of at least one Wolfpack assistant coach. Remember, that's a former assistant coach. Nobody currently at NC State is charged with anything. This dates back to the, Mar the, Matt Go uh, the Mark Godfried Orlando early era and the one-and-done player, Dennis Smith Jr., now with the Knicks. He became a lottery pick of the Dallas Mavericks. There's an awful lot of phone-related circumstantial evidence that the NCAA is using to build its case, a lot of calls and texts. Why did you, Orlando Early, or why did you, Mark Gottfried, go from never or rarely calling person A or person B to all of a sudden talking to them a lot at the same time that T.J. Gasnola, Adidas consultant, has admitted he helped funnel $40,000 to the family of Dennis Smith Jr. It just looks bad, smells bad, sounds bad. It is only circumstantial evidence, right? And the Wolfpack attorneys are saying, well, wait a minute. Even if you believe this guy who testified in the FBI case, you're not showing whose hands it ended up in. You don't have bank records for the Smith family. You don't have bank records from the family friend and trainer, Sean Farmer, who was apparently one of the bag men, according to the NCAA's theory of the case. So NC State is doing what it should do. It is lawyering up, in a sense. Now, one big difference as we come to your calls, and then we'll get to Joe Giglio, what is similar is that the Wolfpack has some real legal arguments to make. In that sense, they are lawyering up rather than just saying, yeah, we did all this stuff. Anybody who's seen all the FBI evidence, by the way, you know that this happened. Not all of that evidence made it to the NCAA. That's good for NC State. So you make the best arguments you can, even though you know that Orlando Early, through his attorney, has already admitted to some of these bad things in one of the FBI cases. That admission is not in front of the NCAA. So like any good defense attorney, you just force the NCAA to make their case, and you say, well, even if you believe this Gasnola guy, you haven't really shown how Dennis Smith Jr. or his family ended up with the money. Yeah, Gasnola flew to North Carolina. Yeah, we have this bank account that shows a $40,000 withdrawal. And we do have evidence that the Smith family, around the same time, moved out of government-subsidized housing and moved into a nice six-figure house of their own. Again, that's only, six, that's only circumstantial evidence. So NC State is lawyering up in the sense of bringing up technicalities. Hey, your own rules say you can't use court testimony from a case that is still on appeal. That's a very real legal argument. And they're going to debate that. Some of these rules, remember, are very new rules. The NCAA actually said, used the phrase, hey, that's a novel argument 
NC State that you have there. Can't use court testimony from a case that is still on appeal. Well, that's written in the NCAA bylaws. The NC State lawyers are saying, well, if it's written, what's the interpretation that says you are allowed to use that evidence? So it's a fair legal argument. It's the same one I would make if I was advocating for NC State's case. The hardest hurdle for State, and we'll get into more details with Joe Giglio, is that the essence of the case, at Carolina it was the AFAM scandal, right? Athletes, but also non-athletes, taking these ridiculously easy classes. And it looked like a scheme to keep a lot of people eligible and give them good grades. And part of that, everybody was athletes who helped teams win games, etc. The NCAA rules were a questionable fit for educational misbehavior at UNC. And, of course, Carolina's attorneys knew that. They knew that over and over and over, legislation that would have given the NCAA more power over academic details at any university was voted down. No, 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 no. Even if you hate Carolina out there, odds are your favorite school voted no on giving the NCAA more power over the academic details of their, of their member schools. So Carolina got off the hook. Remember, no sanctions at all. Why? They lawyered up, yes, but their lawyers made an argument. This academic stuff is not really a good fit for the way your rules are written. Your rules are written on amateurism issues. Your rules are written on eligibility issues. Your rules are written covering a lot of things, not really classes that are kind of classes, but they're easy and they were graded by a secretary and they got suspiciously high grades. And yes, it happened with athletes, but yes, it happened with non-athletes, et cetera. The The lawyers at UNC knew the underlying issue was not a good fit for what the NCAA typically governs. In this case, the underlying wrongdoing is a perfect fit for NCAA rules. It's crystal clear that you're not allowed to have basketball coaches funneling money to prospects and their family. The underlying issue is perfectly clear, a violation of NCAA rules. So you're stuck with lawyering up on the technicalities, like can't use court testimony from case still on appeal, but also the force them to connect the dots. It's one thing for T.J. Gasnola to have withdrawn $40,000. It's one thing for Mark Godfrey in Orlando early to have all these calls and texts to the same people that they had rarely or ever talked to before, right around the time the Smith family allegedly got the cash and moved into the nicer home. But we're still, we still see enough evidence where you, the NCAA, connect all those dots. That's what good, good defense attorneys do. And NC State's chancellor, by the way, Randy Woodson, put out a statement yesterday released by the school. While we appreciate the NCAA enforcement staff's detailed response, again, they got this 48-page response just recently, NC State remains in strong disagreement with many of the characterizations and conclusions in their enforcement written reply. As we have said throughout this process, we at NC State will vigorously defend the university where necessary and take ownership where appropriate. We look forward to a hearing with the infractions committee and the opportunity to make our case in person. I told you a couple of the arguments that they're going to make there. Joe Giglio has been covering this and ACC basketball with distinction for a long time in the case of ACC hoops. He's, of course, a sports writer for the News and Observer of Raleigh. We will talk Wolfpack at Syracuse and other basketball. 
but we'll get his update since he was among those writing about it most prominently yesterday for the News and Observer on NC State versus the NCAA. Those stories and more with Joe Giglio next on the David Glenn Show. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. More of your phone calls a little bit later, as time permits. Joining us now, as promised, a sports writer of distinction for the News and Observer of Raleigh. He covers ACC everything. He covers the Wolfpack particularly intensely. He is all over the NC State NCAA showdown, which took a new twist just yesterday. And, of course, he covers the pack as Kevin Keats tries to follow up Year one, when he made the big dance. Year two, when he just missed it. Year three, he is on the bubble as the Wolfpack visits Syracuse tonight, 7 o'clock ESPN2. Joe Giglio of the News and Observer. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm good, Dave. Thanks for having me, man. It's great to have you. You have covered these Keats teams. As you think about that next tier of the ACC, and we'll get into the NCAA uh, scandal stuff later, but... Do you view the Wolfpack as among the best bets to make the NCAA tournament outside the obvious Duke, Louisville, and Florida State? And what do you make of this matchup tonight where, you know, both the Orange and the Wolfpack want to envision themselves on the right side of the bubble come next month? Yeah, I would put Syracuse probably at the top of that also list just because of the way they had been playing yep. before their Duke loss. Uh, I think Pitt has some strange wins too, Dave. Um, Florida State and Rutgers, believe it or not, um, that helped them. Yep. One thing kind of hurting State right now is Wisconsin kind of falling off the table a little bit. You know, that was a, a Q1 win, and they've kind of sputtered a little bit. But if they could help themselves, then maybe NC State could help themselves too. When you see seniors like Markel Johnson and C.J. Bryce kind of come back to earth in different ways, what is the most logical explanation for things that we don't see very often? Because the closest thing to an answer I've gotten so far was Kevin Keats saying, you know, seniors sometimes put unnecessary pressure on themselves. You don't go from being a great shooter to a lousy shooter very often, right? And yet Markel has seen that happen, and CJ, of course, had his senior year complicated by the concussions. Yeah, I think with Markel, it's a complicated formula to get him motivated each and every game. And I think Kevin has wrestled with that for his three years with him. And, and when you have good Markel, you know, he runs really hot like we saw in the Wisconsin game, and, and you love it. And then when he, when he disappears on them, like the Clemson game notably down there, you wonder, well, where the guy, where the hot one go? Yeah. So I think it's difficult for Kevin to kind of, even for him, I think he would admit that on the record, you know, it's, it's, that's a challenge to get your best player to be your best player consistently when it, it seems that is not always the case to Markel. And I don't think it's a lack of effort. I think it's just a matter of, you know, uh, some people are wired differently. And I, I think Markel is one of those people. Joe Giglio is joining us. Follow him on Twitter at JW Giglio. That's G-I-G-L-I-O. Of course, find him in the pages of the News and Observer and at that fine website as well. 
The NCAA's 48-page response to the Wolfpack became public yesterday, and it does lay out why it remains convinced of that most serious charge, the funneling of money to Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, and or his family with the use of at least one uh, interme intermediary who was employed as an NC State basketball coach, Orlando Early. Uh, Wolfpack fans often use the phrase, hey, just lawyer up the way UNC lawyered up and ended up with no sanctions. Uh, what is your educated guess on to what degree lawyering up is going to work in this case? Yeah, it, it can work some. Um, you can certainly raise some different doubts in the case and about the proof of the payment, and they have some evidence from, or at least some testimony from uh, Dennis when he came back to campus and denied receiving the payment. The problem for NC State with this case, obviously, is that they have a coach involved in it. Yeah. And, and with Carolina, with uh, John Calipari, with pick any NCAA case, and there's not, a, there's not a coach directly involved in it. Even Kansas, you know, you could say Bill Self, but that's a specific failure to monitor, which you're kind of seeing um, in their case. This is more of you had a coach involved in a payment. And since Orlando early has not cooperated at all, you saw the language yesterday in the NCAA's response. They consider that an admission of guilt. So that part of the case is difficult for NC State to manipulate on any legal terms because they seem to be dead to rights there. However, what we've seen from the NCAA is that they've had more of an inclination to punish these coaches, uh, particularly in the case where you saw DePaul most recently where they are going to suspend Dave Lato. And previous to that, Jim Calhoun, where they suspended him, and Rick Pitino, when they suspended him. Um, so that would fall under Mark Gottfried's umbrella. Obviously, he's not the coach there anymore. And I think that's where the distinction for NC State could help them, right? Kansas Delta is still there. Right. I think that's going to be a really fascinating case as to what happened. But in, in the case of NC State, yes, they had a former assistant involved, but he's no longer there. Are you surprised, given that Orlando Early – you know, apparently doesn't want another job in college basketball because if you did, you'd, you'd have to at least cooperate more than he has. Mark Godfrey, as you said, is no longer the NC State head coach, but he is the Cal State Northridge head coach. Are you surprised given that there is significant evidence against Early and Godfrey from the FBI cases, not all of which made it to the NCAA? Um, the ultimate question is, are you surprised that he still has a job at Cal Northridge on the evidence that you're aware of? No, because schools fall in love with coaches for different reasons, right? I mean, Rick Pitino had a national championship, and they let him survive through a lot of the issues that he had. Bill Self has a national championship. Now, obviously, Mark Godfrey does not have a national championship, but when you're Cal State Northridge and maybe you don't really have much else, I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe they, they are inclined. And you know what, Dave? They could actually win the Big West this year, uh, their tournament. They have the best player in that league. Wow, and they might—they might actually show up on Selection Sunday. The stranger things yeah. have happened. Um, so I don't know what their motivation is. I know—I think there was a connection there between the Chancellor and Mark. There might have been an Alabama or a UCLA connection in their past. Um, you know, you, you know, people get hired for different reasons. We see that all the time. Yeah, Joe Giglio joining us on the David Glenn Show. When you look at the totality of the evidence, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. committed in November of 2015, and all of this evidence, phone records, calls, texts, Mark Godfrey and Orlando Early 
are reaching out to people like the trainer, Sean Farmer, or the Adidas consultant, TJ Gasnola. They go from rarely or never talking to these guys to just this flurry of things in the same months that lead to the commitment of Dennis Smith Jr. Is, do you believe the NCAA is, is missing too many pieces here? Or is there a common sense conclusion that even if you can't prove the handing of the money from Orlando early to Sean Farmer or some other intermediary, uh, that circumstantial evidence is going to get this across the goal line for the NCAA? Yeah, you've, you've covered so many of these, Dave, and you know that when it's the NCAA, it's not a court of law. And their rules allow circumstantial evidence. And that panel, it's really going to come down to the panel, right? Yeah. W what do the people on that committee infraction think? Do they think NC State acted appropriately, responded appropriately to the problems that they had? Was, um, you know, one point they're trying to make, NC State, in their legal argument, is the source of the money is not Adidas, but Martin Fox. Now, legally, they would have a leg to stand on there. And that would uh, actually, and even in, in the NCAA process, they have a leg to stand on there. And that was kind of dismissed by the NCAA in their rebuttal. But it's going to be up to the committee to kind of look at those numbers and say, now, wait a second, if the money came from Martin Fox, then that gets you into the inducement versus yeah. uh, benefit, uh, you know, <laughs> manipulation of words, which are a pretty big difference in NCAA vernacular. True. Given the timing of this, um, we've said all along, like there's obviously we reinforce Kevin Keats and his staff have absolutely positively nothing to do with any of this. But sanctions, of course, can impact the, the modern athletic department and the current basketball team. Uh, this is a pretty quick turnaround. The NCAA's response arriving in Raleigh uh, dated February 7th. In your best estimation, is the timetable still such that even if you get a committee of infractions meeting in the next month or so, I mean, it's, nothing is going to impact this season of Wolfpack athletics, right? Even if uh, sanctions come, they would come later. The only possible scenario I could see is if this thing got super-duper expedited and it was clear or it was made clear to NC State in a back channel, hey, you're going to get a postseason ban. I think you would see NC State in that specific scenario try to take a knee this year yeah. rather than affect the I would. recruiting class that they have coming in. And, you know, we saw Syracuse do this rather effectively. Yeah. They, they had a year where they actually finished their season at NC State and, and Jim Beheim didn't come and talk to us, which is kind of a classic moment in right. time, uh, <laughs> Lord. But um, I, that would be a real specific, and that would have to be expeditious, Dave, because right now they don't have a hearing date. Right. You know, they went, they started January with a tentative date for the end of February to, to meet and have a hearing. And I, I don't, I don't want to talk out of turn about Godfrey's schedule, but he's still coaching. Right. So in theory, he would want to be at his own hearing. Uh, I don't think that would affect NC State's hearing date, but uh, the NCAA's ability to respond here, or they responded only once here, you'll note. They got separate responses from NC State and from Godfrey, but they only issued one response. So right. That kind of suggests to me there's only going to be one hearing. Uh, but that they're going to have to figure that out pretty quickly, Dave, for it to have any kind of impact on this season. I know you mentioned Kevin Keith not being involved. 
his primary concern is that recruiting class coming yeah. in and, and wanting to put his program in, in the forefront in the sense of developing players and having a class and not having to go through what he's gone through the last two years of just kind of, you know, bubble gum and, and scotch tape and trying to put a roster together. He, you know, he wants to build a roster the right way. Last thing, and I probably only have 30 seconds or so. It, would I be right, do you think, to assume nobody really cares, including Randy Woodson, if the Wolfpack has to vacate the one and only season that Dennis Smith Jr. was on campus, which was not a very good season. Like, I mean, are they are they putting up such a fight that they couldn't settle on that because the postseason ban or any other type of sanction similar to that, anything that affects the longer-term future is a nightmare, whereas, I don't know, it sounds like a really good place to settle if you just have to vacate a season and have some other minor penalties. Well, don't forget, they offered up a scholarship reduction. I think they signed up for that right now. Yeah. and be on their way. Obviously, their concern is the postseason ban affecting that class that you have coming yeah. in next year. So you know how it goes, Dave. I do, my friend. Thank you for chiming in today from the News and Observer, Joe Giglio, on Twitter at JWGilio. Enjoy the uh, Wolfpack-Syracuse game and other ACC hoops tonight. Thanks for having me, Dave. You got it. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Thanks to NC State women's coach Wes Moore for dropping by. The Wolfpack hosts Louisville in a battle of top ten teams at Reynolds Coliseum on Thursday night. Get there if you can. Watch it on the ACC Network if you cannot. As we speak, the Wolfpack women are ticketed for a number one NCAA tournament seed. The Wolfpack men are at Syracuse tonight. That is among your TV options. UNC at Wake Forest. They are both cellar dwellers, but those matchups have been entertaining some years, not last year, when they get together in Winston-Salem, as is the case tonight. Notre Dame at Virginia matters a lot for both of those teams as well. You can apply that label to Wolfpack at Orange, too. The NBA, if you're a pro hoops fan doesn't get much better than this it's the clippers at the sixers on tnt philly has an nba best record at home of 24 wins and two losses the clippers of course are among the other best teams in the league and after some load management here and there Kawhi leonard and paul george are expected to play it is a battle of behemoths as those two take on Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and the Sixers. Celtics-Rockets is the TNT nightcap. So that is a fantastic doubleheader for Pro Hoops fans. Lots of college hoops for you to consider, including the ACC games I mentioned. The Westminster Dog Show is on FS1 at 7.30. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.